This is your public radio station for more than 37 years, KUAF 91.3, and this is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Ahead on today's show, we hear about a new book that aims to inspire more people to collect oral histories. Our militant grammarian, Catherine Schultz, inspires us to use commas correctly, and I'll sit down with Ashton Barbary and three-fourths of her band in advance of an album release show this weekend. First... Today is Election Day in Arkansas's preferential primary election. Yesterday, Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith braved unfavorable weather to get reaction from voters who cast their ballots on the last day of early voting in Washington County. The last day for Arkansans to vote early was Monday, May 23rd, on the gloomy and rainy afternoon outside of the Washington County Courthouse Voters headed to the polls to ensure that their ballot was counted. While a few voters were discouraged by the line, I am going to have to come back. That's a little too overwhelming for me. I should have early voted because that is stressful. But I will vote. You will vote? All right. Line was long because I need to vote. (laughs) If the line were longer, would you still go and vote? Um... They kind of hide it from you, so you don't know it's really long till you're there. Then you're like, well, I'm here. The majority stayed and emerged from the courthouse with I voted stickers in hand or on their clothes. Sarah Hardin and Mac Adams said that they waited for quite a while in line, but were determined to cast their ballot. Do you guys usually go out and vote or is this a one-time occurrence? Oh, no, no, we always vote. (laughs) Was the line long in there? Yes. I heard from a couple Very of Very bad. Uh, okay. It took us an hour, more, was it longer. 11.45, was it worth it? Oh, oh yes. yes. If the line were longer, would you still go? Yes. <laughs> why, why would you still go? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. that's democracy. <laughs> All kinds of voters emerged, some single, others in groups, and some who have been voting for decades, while others are new to the process. First, Kara Price, who registered to vote for the first time earlier this year. Um, this was my first time voting. I just turned 18 in January. I just kind of wanted to get a feel for the election process. Were you nervous going in? A little. A little? How do you feel coming out of it? I feel good. You feel yeah. good? Would you do it again? <laughs> I would, definitely. I'll be back in November. As opposed to first-time voter Kara Price, Monica, Clarissa, and Terry Fuller, however, said that they are longtime voters and stressed its importance. We just needed to participate in it. We always vote when, when, when it's vote time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Today was probably the busiest that I've seen, like, yeah. ever. But it's so, smooth, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a line, but it's, it's, it's very smooth once you're in there. So. Yeah. Is it worth it to wait in the line yeah. to, to go and, yeah. and vote? Mm-hmm. Well, voting's very important. Yeah, we had to wait. If I had to wait an hour, I would wait. (laughs) Much like the Fuller family, Amanda Carson also votes regularly and was even accompanied by her four-year-old during the process. Do you feel like your vote matters in the state and local elections and stuff? Yes, Yes. very much so. Why is that so? (laughs) Because I think everyone can vote, so I think we should. And for the little one, yes. What is the experience you think like for her? Oh, she did. She paid attention pretty well. She really? wasn't too wild for a four-year-old. As opposed to Amanda, a self-described more apolitical voter, I spoke to a politician at the polls, Sonia Harvey, Fayetteville City Council member, who similarly to the last voter we heard from, notes the importance and the critical decisions that voting impacts. Why is it important for people to come out and and cast their ballot and have their voice be heard? Oh, very important. Big one. If anybody cares about where money is spent, then you should get to vote. Yes. Go vote. If you want to see money invested in your community the way that you want it to be invested, then research and then figure out how people like to spend money, and that's who you need to vote for. Another couple that was fresh out of the booth shared the sentiment. The stakes for each election are too high not to engage. If we want any influence at all, we have to vote. So um, we um, we like being part of the process. I think it's a it's a duty and an honor uh, that we've earned as a democracy to be able to have the choice to vote. Mm -hmm. And if we don't vote, then we are throwing that away. 
was that line pretty long in there? Yeah. I was hearing from some people earlier yeah. that it was longer. It wasn't well, terrible, like but it was longer than I expected. Minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't long. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. No. If it were longer, would you still come in? Oh, yeah. I'd, oh, yeah. I'd be here three hours later if yeah. I had to, yeah. Reporting from the Washington County Courthouse in Fayetteville, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith, and this is Ozarks at Large. Rachel produced that piece for Ozarks at Large and for Natural Election, a podcast production of Ozarks at Large and KUAF. The newest episode of Natural Election is available today wherever you get your podcasts. And again, today is Election Day for Arkansas's preferential primary election. For a list of voting locations and more information in your county, visit KUAF.com vote. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra concludes its 2022 residency at Walton Arts Center May 27th with a finale performance of works by Strauss and Stravinsky, featuring more than 90 premier musicians from around the world under the baton of maestro Corrado Rivera's. Tickets available at artisphererefestival.org. This is Ozarks at Large. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month in the U.S., The Washington County Historical Society marked the occasion last weekend with a panel discussion led by four AAPI community leaders. The panel discussion was held at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth brings us this report. Three young dancers with bells wrapped around their ankles run barefoot past their parents while a museum volunteer writes vegetable samosas on a sticky note in front of a tinfoil pan, while the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale is usually closed to visitors on Sundays, this afternoon the main event room is bustling with people. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Today is the final event in the Washington County Historical Society's Diverse Settlers Speaker Series. This time, celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Typically, the Diverse Settlers Committee is all about highlighting minority experiences in Northwest Arkansas, more specifically Washington County. So what we will do from time to time, we will look at the experiences of African Americans. We'll look at the experiences of the Latinx community. And particularly this time, we're looking at the experiences of Asian Pacific, Pacific Islanders, and looking at the largest population of Marshallese in the, you know, in the, in the region, outside, especially outside of the Marshallese Islands. Uh, so this is an event that was uh, specifically put on to highlight their experiences in Northwest Arkansas. Calvin White Jr. is a member of the Washington County Historical Society's Diverse Settlers Committee and the moderator of today's panel. He says the main goal of this program is to give credit to people whose contributions to the prosperity of Northwest Arkansas are often overlooked. A lot of times we like to talk about the people who live in the shadows uh, that really make up Northwest Arkansas and Washington County more specifically. We all are aware that this great place to live, Washington County, could not have been made possible without so many different contributions. So this is Washington County's uh, historical side, a small way of highlighting those contributions and bringing some of those experiences to the forefront. According to numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau, more than 7% of Arkansas's population is Asian or Pacific Islander, with nearly 20% of that Asian population residing in northwest Arkansas, while 74% of the state's Pacific Islander population resides in the region. One of the four panelists today, Nandini Varadraj, president of the Rave Cultural Foundation, says that the discussion is important and unique because it helps people, even from minority communities, better understand the cultural heritage of often marginalized people living in Northwest Arkansas. You know, it it comes down to our children, the future. They have to know that it is, the world is not centered around them. There are other people and they might look different, they might speak differently, they might be dressed differently. Uh, It is important to know their background, to know their story, so you can understand them better. You you don't just go and judge people just because you don't know what it is. So it is very important to know, to pass on that knowledge, you know, uh, to not judge people. So, And it starts off with asking questions, knowing about other people and their story. That's right. Today's other panelists included Kathy Luo of the Chinese Association of Northwest Arkansas, Yang Luo Branch with the Arkansas Association of Asian Businesses, and Melissa Leilan from the Arkansas Coalition of Marshallese. 
During the discussion, panelists tackle topics ranging from maintaining cultural connections for their kids, overcoming stereotypes, and some of the challenges and benefits of living in Northwest Arkansas. And Melissa Leilan says a discussion like this is important to open to the community because she says while many people may know about the area's large Marshallese population, it can be difficult to get people in the wider community to understand their history and special legal status in the U.S. So for me to, to really share our story and let the world know who we are and share with the community of our identities and, you know, the history. I mean, the nuclear legacy history that people do not know about. I think it was very important for us to share that. And she says having more open intercultural dialogues can make it easier for everyone to address barriers and issues that they may not know other communities are facing too. I really felt like that was one of the first events that I felt uh, everything is equally provided. Uh, and I think just to have other cultures be represented uh, and other groups represented at that table was amazing. Uh, and really learned that uh, actually the story of uh, when uh, Nahidi was talking about uh, the women, the wives, that would have a hard time with getting their driver's license. Uh, that relates to what I'm experiencing, what we are experiencing in Marshallese. So it really did a lot of similarities there. After the panel, Dr. Luo shared a traditional Mongolian dance, and then students from the Rave Cultural Foundation performed a classical Indian ballet. Varadraj says while she started the Rave Cultural Foundation to give Indian migrants to the region a connection to classical Indian dance, she soon found it was a perfect outreach tool to share the diversity and complexity of her community with Northwest Arkansas. You know, outside of the Indian community, if somebody is thinking about India, they know to reach to Ravi Cultural Foundation. We, ha- we are there right now. And uh, we hope it continues to grow. And uh, we are always looking for opportunities. And we are willing to work with anybody and everybody, you know. Tell us, you know, we can assimilate, you know. We can do bring in a Marshallese dance along with an Indian traditional dance. And they can dance together. And that is what we are trying to do right here in this community. So we will be there, you know. We want to do it. But she says there's one aspect of Northwest Arkansas that she thinks could use some work. Yeah, I mean, food. <laughs> food yeah. is very important for it. Because, you know, I'm, because I know I would pick my son from school, go for a swimming class, go for an enrichment learning, and then to violin. By the time we get back home, it's almost 9 p.m. So I would pack snacks and dinner for both of us, and we'll be eating in the car. Uh, so, you know, I would really like that that situation changes some options. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Aura historian Alex Prem, based in Springfield, Missouri, has authored a new book titled Ozark Voices, Oral Histories from the Heartland, published by McFarland & Company. As Ozark's largest Jacqueline Froelich reports, Ozark Voices aims to inspire wider pursuits of oral history by illustrating its method and value. Alexander Prim's an educator, oral historian, storyteller, and writer. He carries myriad degrees in fine arts, literature, political science, international relations theory, agricultural economics, Chinese language, and linguistics. Prim, who's traveled the globe, is interested in everything and everyone, but says meeting up with elders early in life inspired him to pursue oral history as a career. Who just had wonderful stories, and I realized while working as a journalist that I might be the only person uh, who would preserve their stories in some kind of way. Oral history is both a field of study and a method of gathering, preserving, and interpreting the voices and memories of people or communities. Oral historians first used analog reel-to-reel tape recorders back in the 1940s, now replaced by digital recording technologies. 
oral history is a specialization, Prim says, with enthusiasts routinely gathering to share best practices and collected historical materials and discoveries. I go to the annual oral history conference whenever possible. I've been about 20 times. And there's probably 500 people show up. A lot of them are graduate students, but there are very few uh, agencies that employ oral historians. There's a few academic programs. It's a growing field. So uh, one reason I wrote this book is to give students and people who are curious about oral history a, a way of seeing how it has evolved in the last 20 or 30 years. The St. Louis native first discovered the Ozarks as a kid on a family fishing trip, later relocating to Rolla, Missouri, with his spouse, Kathy Prim, where they built a sustainable homestead. He says he specifically chose a rural life after serving in the U.S. military as a correspondent in Vietnam in the late 1960s. While living on the Ozarks in the 1980s, he began to pursue freelance oral history contracts, first with the U.S. Forest Service, then later the Geological Survey, the Missouri Historical Society, Fort Leonard Wood U.S. Army Base, and the National Park Service, all in Missouri. He says most oral historians, however, are associated with museums, colleges, and universities. One of the things that's inspired me was a a journalist from Arkansas, Roy Reed, who I believe was the first oral historian at the Pryor Center at the University of Arkansas. And Roy Reed wrote uh, the definite biography of the late Governor Orville Falvis. It is a wonderful book that is based largely on interviews. I had a chance to interview uh, the governor's youngest uh, brother, Doyle Falvis, who lived outside of Fayetteville. And he just had wonderful stories about uh, life uh, as a tie hacker. There, the Falvis's father uh, made his living as a partly made his living as a tie hacker in the Ozarks. And that's a tough way to make a living. And Orville himself grew up hacking ties. And that's a trade that was a big thing in the Ozarks uh, after the Civil War, all the way up into the Great Depression. It's a trade that's sort of forgotten now. Prim says successful oral histories require a willing subject with stories to share and establishing rapport and empathy with such subjects to place them at ease. One of the basic concepts of oral history is the concept of shared authority, that both the person asking the questions and the person who has the information and the stories have to agree of why you're sharing the stories and what will happen with them when they're done. So it's it's a bit of a complex process. Prim says we all have stories, which he describes as stepping stones through our lives. We all as humans share a divine spark and What makes oral history so exciting is that often unexpected stories are shared. People's memories can last for many decades, and many older people feel stronger about what happened in their childhood than maybe what happened yesterday. So the exciting thing about interviewing someone is developing a relationship where uh, people share unexpected memories. Unexpected memories are the result of an exchange with an oral historian who, Prim says, is an active listener. It's, it's a wonderful experience. And after a, a, a first interview, these memories will come up as a person's subconscious mind goes to work overnight. And people often don't have a chance to share their stories. So it's important that they have a second interview where uh, these deeper memories can, can evolve and come up. Prim says his oral histories conducted for various state and federal agencies in Missouri are held by those agencies, archived by them. 
although the State Historical Society of Missouri and Columbia has accepted several hundred of his oral history recordings on cassette, but readers of Ozark Voices oral histories from the heartland will be able to sample some of Prim's favorite oral history transcriptions and related writings. Probably the most remarkable and interesting person I interviewed was someone I knew as as a teenager uh, who was one of the first people to rent canoes in the Ozarks. His name was Ralph Treehouse Brown. And I did several projects with Mr. Brown. Luckily, there is a uh, half an hour video that's available on YouTube. It's the video is called Treehouse, an Ozark Story. We made it with support from the State Arts Council, and it is um, uh, has a music uh, component written by Tom Shipley, who uh, is an Ozark performer, part of the music duo uh, Brewer and Shipley. And they wrote a song about Treehouse Brown, and we interviewed his neighbors, and we have a lot of wonderful stories about Mr. Brown. He's the, the guy who inspired me in certain ways. Uh, he is a complex individual, and that's what I like about oral history. You can really understand a person and, and why they, they've decided to do what they've done with their lives. The intent of Prim's book is to inspire readers to pursue oral history, by exemplifying how it's done, as well as to share his adventures as a freelance oral historian. The book's comprised of eight parts, each centered on various oral history projects. The book also contains four appendices, the first being a 17-step guide on producing a simple oral history and obtaining necessary signed releases, this is critical, regarding future use. Prim will present Ozark Voices at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History on May 27th at the Ozark Symposium hosted by the Ozark Studies Association. To learn more, search Alex Prim, P-R-I-M-M, dash oral history. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Botanical Garden of the Ozarks is excited to welcome guests back to the garden this summer on Terrific Tuesday Nights. From June through August, the garden will be open and free to the public Tuesdays from 5 to 8 p.m. Opera in the Ozarks will perform Pinocchio to kick off the series June 7th. The Downtown Springdale Alliance hosts its outdoor concert series live at Turnbow this Thursday with performances from Tony Redman and the Jeff Horton Band. The free outdoor concert takes place at Turnbow Park where the community can listen to live outdoor music while they enjoy a bite to eat or drink in the downtown outdoor dining district. Live at Turnbow takes place the last Thursday of the month all the way through October. All concerts begin at 6.30 p.m. In the event of inclement weather, which is possible this Thursday, postponed concerts will be rescheduled to the following Sunday at 6.30 p.m. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. It's been a little more than a year since the last time we had Ashton Barbary at the Carver Center for Public Radio. In spring 2021, she was the first local musician to stop by and perform for us since the COVID-19 pandemic closed our doors to the public. She's been busy in the last year, though, cultivating a full band of musicians, writing, recording, and finishing her first full-length album, and performing throughout Northwest Arkansas. That full-length album, titled Better Luck Next Time, will be released this weekend with a concert at Fayetteville Public Library. Earlier this month, Ashton, with guitarist and pianist Jacob Campbell, bassist Nick Caffrey, and pedal steel player Ty Dunn, recently came to the Furman Garner Performance Studio to talk with me about the new album and this weekend's release show. They also performed a couple of songs from the new album. Here they are with the song Up in Flames.
songs were written between like 2018 and 2020. Seven of the nine are co-writes that I wrote in my backyard at the House of Songs at Bethany Arts Community in New York City. And then the other two I wrote by myself. And I went to record these December 2020 in Nashville. We had a little bit of delays and we had to go back the next year. And it's finally coming out this May 28th. The title, Better Luck Next Time, is that a reference to anything specifically or is it just a general feeling? It is reference to something very specific. So one of the songs on the record is called Rhythm of the Road and it's about the ups and downs of being a full-time musician. And some nights you'll play in these bars where drunk people are yelling um, and other times you play wonderful listening room venues where people are caring and supportive of local arts. And one night it was one of those not so great shows, the character building shows, and a drunk guy he said, better luck next time. And I was feeling real sassy. And I was like, I'm going to name my record that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope he hears it. <laughs> so the list of collaborators on this album, it's pretty extensive, both in songwriting and in other contributions. Yes. How did those collaborations come about? So the co-writes, the House of Songs kind of introduced me into co-writing. I'd never co-written a song until doing a residency there. And they pretty much like put me in a room with Bonnie Montgomery and were like, hey, in three hours, you guys need to have a song that you show us. <laughs> and we'd both never written with anyone but ourselves. And so it was a really learning experience. And I really kind of got like hooked on it. I was like, just wanted to co-write with everybody. So I wrote a lot of songs and kind of chose some of my favorite co-writes that ended up on the record. Previously, you performed as a solo artist. Now there's a full band around you. How did this arrangement come about? Well, I've always really loved whenever I have more bandmates around me, the songs really come to life. Like without all the parts, when it's just vocals and guitar, you kind of get like the bones of the song, but it feels like the real song when you have all the instruments. And Jacob, Nick, and I have been playing as a trio for a while now. And we decided for this new release, we were going to add pedal steel and drums. For you guys here in the room, how has it been to, you know, kind of put your stamp on this record, on these songs? This is Jacob. We had a really good time in Nashville recording the first chunk of the record. It was a great experience for me personally, having never gotten to go record in Nashville before. Just sort of a different experience, you know, working with these really high-tier musicians, you know. And it's one thing, you know, to go to a really cool studio that's in a cool town that's famous for music, but the the real treat was getting to collaborate and, and learn from some of those older players who, you know, have been have played thousands and thousands of sessions. Mm-hmm. I did not go to the Nashville recording session, but because of that, it's kind of been a dynamic process of like fine-tuning these songs from my perspective because I've had the opportunity to work with Ashton on a lot of these songs and her getting them stage-ready after they've been co-written. And so I've helped to shape them there. And then I get to hear what these excellent national musicians have done. And it's like, oh, there's even more that can be done here, you know, and there's more opportunity to make these songs really cool. So I've really enjoyed that process, and I've had a lot of fun in that. My part has been really fun, yeah. yeah. And this is Ty. I didn't get to play on the on the Nashville record, but I've been playing pedal steel with Ashton for a while. And, and, and I, I've been in local bands before and played in a more rock outfits, but it's nice to do the pedal steel and Americana stuff because that's, mm-hmm. that's where my heart's at. So I'm just also really glad to be playing with these excellent musicians and 
putting on some pedal live shows. Well, and you also play some piano in this band as well, right? Yeah, just a little. Yeah, yeah. How is it to switch between pedal steel and piano? It's nice because they're both sitting instruments. They're both at, at, at about the same uh, the same spot, but it's sometimes you're turning in your little stool and you like hit the wrong pedal on the wrong instrument. <laughs> yep, classic. Uh, so, Ashton, you released your debut EP 2018. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like the music has changed for you since then? Well, when I released that first EP in 2018, that was the first six songs I had ever written. And I was pretty young, you know. And since then, I've developed a lot like as a person and a songwriter and guitar player and you know, it's really like a new chapter. That EP was part of my story, but I feel like it doesn't represent what I'm doing now, and this new record really does. So I'm just really excited to kind of go into this new chapter of more focused, fine-tuned Americana music. Was there any theme or message that you were aiming for on this album? There, there's a variety of songs. I mean, one theme would be all the different co-writes. Like, I was kind of exploring that, and mm-hmm. all of the songs are about, like, stories that I experienced or themes and there would be some details from my co-writer's experience except for one that was based on a news headline and so that was kind of a different little twist where we took like a really dramatic news headline and turned it into a song. So y'all have a release show planned for Better Luck Next Time. Tell us a little bit about it. So the release show is going to be at the Fayetteville Public Library Event Center, May 28th at 2 p.m., and it's free to the public. It'll be 2 to 4, and you can reserve tickets online. It is recommended that you reserve them in advance, but there will be like spots at the door, too, if it's not full. So mm-hmm. come check it out. And you will have physical copies of yes, the album. Yes, I will. Excellent, excellent. So other than the release show at Fayetteville Public Library, what else do you, do you all have coming up? Well, immediately following the release, I'm going to head over to Copenhagen, Denmark, and I'm going to be doing some duo shows over there in Denmark and Sweden alongside, like, as it releases digitally. I'll have a couple of shows over there, and then when I get back, we'll have a couple full band shows, trying to focus on that more. And we'll have those kind of sprinkled throughout the summer and fall, and hopefully more of that. And I'm planning to bring them to Europe in December. Nice, nice. So where's the best place people can keep up with what you've got going on? So for live events, you can go to Facebook or um, my website, ashtonbarbary.com, and there's a show tab. I also keep them on Bands in Town, Spotify, Songkick. I try to make it where they're everywhere, so if you want to find me, it's pretty easy.
That was Ashton Barbary on vocals and guitar, Jacob Campbell performing on the Mary Baker Rumsey Steinway, Ty Dunn on pedal steel, and Nick Caffrey on bass. That performance was recorded inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF earlier this month. The release show for Better Luck Next Time is at 2 p.m. this Saturday in Fayetteville Public Library's Event Center. Admission is free, but registration is recommended. You can find out more at faylib.org events. We'll also have a direct link at our website, and you can keep up with Ashton on Facebook. Just search Ashton Barbary. This is Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College in Conway, home of Life Launch, a new one-week residential summer program for rising high school juniors and seniors to explore career planning and experience college life. Now accepting applications for its inaugural session, which begins June 2022. More information is available at hendricks.edu slash life launch. In the right place, a comma can give clarity. But, as our militant grammarian Catherine Schultz tells Ozarks at Large's Kyle Kellums, misused punctuation can create confusion. You know, we've talked about how hard it is to talk about punctuation on the radio. Yeah. But punctuation errors or alternative ways of punctuating the same sentence can make for some fun. So let's have some fun. Uh, let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to try to make this a quiz for you. Oh, and the fun has yes, just so the ended. Fun yes. Yes. This is for me. Yes. So here are three words. Mm-hmm. How would a comma make a difference? Let's eat grandma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I, oh, uh, no, we're just going to keep this above board. Uh, let's eat, comma, grandma. You're, you're saying to your grandmother, let's have dinner. Uh-huh. And alternative, without the comma. Is, you know, the Donner Party. Yeah, cannibalism, <laughs> Sorry. right. Yes. <laughs> okay, here's another culinary punctuation pair. Mm-hmm. And a homophone to boot. Okay. One might be said to a child. The other would be a command to a farm animal. Mm-hmm. Eat your dinner. So if I was saying it to a child, it's like the green beans are in front of you. Mm-hmm. Eat your dinner. And how would you spell the middle word? Eat, y- your, eat your dinner. Yeah. Y-O-U-R. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. And then what about a command to a farm animal? Uh-huh. <laughs> And look, I eat meat, so I shouldn't have a problem with this. But eat, comma, you are dinner, so you want to fatten the pig. Yeah, except the comma's a comma splice. You've got to use a period. This this uses an exclamation oh, point. But. Eat, mm-hmm. you are dinner. Yeah, and then how's, yeah, you spell Y-O-U apostrophe yeah, R-E. Right. The okay. cow must fatten up because it's going to be a You dinner. know what would work there is eat, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> you are dinner. That goes back to last week, folks. Then we'd be omitting a lot of stuff that we don't want to talk about. Okay. Okay. All right, Cal, which would you rather find in an old wallet in your dresser? Mm. $25 bills or $25 bills? (laughs) That's a good one. I want the 20 bills that are in the denomination of five because a $25 bill is counterfeit. So what punctuation would you use? You got a hyphen. Between? 20 and five. Right? No. 25. Oh, 20. It's not. Well, you don't want the hyphen. Right. Right. Because 20 hyphen 5 is 25. But 20. But you still need a hyphen. For the most amount, you still need a hyphen. 
You still need a hyphen. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking for 20 bills that have Abraham Lincoln yes. on them, I'm yes. going to need a hyphen mm-hmm. in there? Mm-hmm. $5. Oh, oh, well, of course. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, right. Because it right. modifies bills. Yes, yeah. right. So 20 hyphen dollar bills is $100. Right. And 20 hyphen $5 bills is $25. Right. Yeah. One of the most hotly contested questions among punctuation snoots is about the Oxford comma, Mm -hmm. known to journalists as the serial comma. Tell us about the argument, Kyle. Well, so the Oxford or serial comma comes if you're listing several things, three Mm -hmm. things at least. Mm -hmm. This, comma, that, comma, another. And. And, right. And another. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who say that last comma is Mm -hmm. unnecessary. I think it can vary. It does. Yeah. Uh, We start out teaching new journalists, never use it. Yeah. Don't use the serial comma. But then we show the exceptions of when you have to. It's for making sense. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's the number one commandment. Yes. Okay. So um, how does the presence or absence of the Oxford comma change the meaning of this sentence? Mm -hmm. I want to thank my parents, Margaret, and God. (laughs) I want to thank my parents, one object of thanks, Margaret, another, and God, the deity, mm-hmm. a third. And what does it mean if it says, I want to thank my parents, comma, and no Oxford, comma? Then I want to thank, I want my, to thank parents. my parents, Margaret, and God. <laughs> my parents are Margaret yeah, and God, right. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, a text to a girlfriend could easily be misunderstood with poor punctuation in this series of words. I'm sorry I love you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not good for me. I shouldn't be in love with you, and I'm sorry that I am, but I am. Yeah. yeah. And then how can you make it something else? I'm sorry. I'm in love with you. A period. I'm yeah. sorry. Period. Uh-huh. I'm in love or with you. Or a semicolon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> be- but in journalism, you wouldn't use right. semicolons. We don't use semicolons that way. I do want to talk about semicolons in the future. Yeah, we will. Bring one, because okay. I'm so confused right. by them. Okay. Um, and one of my former editors said I should never be allowed in front of a typewriter with its semicolon intact. <laughs> <laughs> One of these pairs could describe a photo from KF, from a KFC ad. Mm-hmm. The other could describe a photo from a 1950s radiation gone wrong movie. Oh, okay. Man eating chicken. Right. The ad, you got a man eating a drumstick. Mm-hmm. It's a picture. Man eating chicken is a fowl that goes after okay. human beings. And how do you make the difference? Hyphen with man eating. What, the, the, the monster. Yeah. Right. Between hyphen? Man and eating, because mm-hmm. it right. describes chicken. Right. And the other one has nothing but right. period, yeah. Right. And actually, it doesn't even have that because it's not a sentence. But right. Okay. As spring arrives and gives us a few really warm days, mm-hmm. I regret leaving my Aquafina bottle in the car. Or maybe I've got tummy troubles. You're talking about hot water bottles. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Hot hyphen bottle. Hot hyphen Water. Water. Bottle. That's one of those things that you use to cure something. Yeah. Or allegedly yeah. cure something. Yeah. Hot water bottle is it's just hot to the touch. And, it and it's your water anything, bottle. Right. Any right. In it. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a water bottle and it's hot. Yeah. Okay. This is a popular Facebook meme featuring Rachel Ray. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's real or not. I find inspiration in cooking, my family, and my dog. Back to the cannibalism here. Uh, I find inspiration in cooking, comma, Uh my family and my dog. Those are three different things. Right. I find inspiration, no comma, in cooking my family and dog means we need to talk. Cannibalism and And whatever eating dogs is. Yeah, just wrong. (laughs) Wrong, yeah. Uh, So the first one has a comma after cooking. Right. I find inspiration in cooking my family and my dog. And I don't think you... You don't need an Oxford oh, comma there. I don't think you do either. I think you understand mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, something to make our feminist listeners either cheer or boo. Uh-huh. And this needs a lot of punctuation oh. in, in, in one instance. A woman without her man is nothing. Well, that's just, you know, old school rudeness there. Right. Like, you, a woman's got to have a But a how, how can you punctuate it to make it a feminist statement? A woman without her man 
is nothing. Oh, are we using a semicolon somewhere in here? <laughs> and, uh, cut close. Uh, a, a woman. Oh, oh, a woman, colon. Mm-hmm. And what was the rest of it? Without her, man is nothing. A woman. Without her, comma, there a man is nothing. Go. Yeah. Wasn't that fun? It, it was, yes, it actually was. <laughs> Our militant grammarian <laughs> is Catherine Sherald's. KUAF 91.3 is the result of a simple formula, local public radio plus a dedication to the power of media for the public good multiplied by the strength of local listener support. June is the final month of KUAF's fiscal year, and we will be raising the funds necessary to make this simple formula work. Your gift before June 30th will help us reach our goal of $50,000 for the month and keep KUAF going strong. Support your public radio station and Ozarks at Large today by giving a gift at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. On the next episode of Resilient Black Women, Joy and Denisha make space for black joy. I feel like my news feeds was saturated with trauma in the black culture. And so I don't want to not make space for that. But I do think that part of being resilient is being able to celebrate the joy of what it is to be black. Recognizing and celebrating black joy on the next episode of Resilient Black Women. You can listen for free at KUAF.com and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. For some it's hard to believe because black women are goddesses and goddesses don't ever bleed. Black women survive though they push and shun away. They the most educated, so listen to what your mama say. Most beautiful might I say. This is your public radio station, KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Mountainburg, and Durham. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF, and I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, and Kyle Kellums. The Natural Election Podcast is a production of Ozarks at Large and KUAF. Catherine Sherlds is our militant grammarian. Thanks so much for stopping by again this Tuesday. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. for a Wednesday edition of Ozarks at Large. Don't forget, you can always catch up on stories, interviews, and full episodes you've missed at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. We will end today's show with music from the band Modeling. They'll have an album release show this Friday at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Here they are performing the song Nothing Unexpected earlier this year in the lobby at KUAF as part of our Lunch Hour concert series. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your Tuesday. (laughs) 